You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Christina Waldo, which is from our sermon series, How to Hug a Vampire. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. And that's my message, everybody. All right. <laughs> no, thank you, God. I, I paid all of them over there to cheer that loud. No, it's not true. Um, but it's a great segue for my gratitude for all of you, uh, both in this room and if you're checking us out online. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the love and the support and the prayers that have come from the people in this room and those of you checking us out online, it's overwhelming for me. It really is, because God's doing big things in Creekside Kids. I don't know if you've read an email that I've sent, or you've read the blurb in the bulletin, or you've literally just walked past that room on a Sunday morning, but it's awesome. It's electric. God is bringing new energy to our team and to our kids, and they're walking away knowing the truth of who God thinks that they are each and every week, and that is because of your support and your love. So keep the prayers coming, and give yourselves a round of applause for being so awesome. So thank you so much. I am I'm loved beyond measure here, and I feel it, so thank you. Um, PG has been bringing us through a series this month uh, about loving people that suck the life out of us, loving people that suck life out of us because they are social vampires, and that is no uh, coincidence. We are not pun masters here. You feel that. You feel that some of these people suck the life out of us, and so today I get to continue. I get to continue on in that series. Uh, So as we've gone through this, Many of you have sat here, and some of these things that PG's communicated have begun to maybe struck a chord within you. I've gotten to have so many conversations post-church, throughout the week, while parents are dropping their kids off, while I'm sitting in my office. I've had multiple conversations following these services with people who are hearing what God is saying through this series, and they're starting to ask tough questions. They're starting to challenge themselves to think a little bit differently, and they're pressing in to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. Because like I just said a couple minutes ago, and I'm going to repeat it right now, God is on the move at Creekside Church. Amen? Amen. So over the last few weeks, maybe you've had a couple realizations. Maybe you've had the realization that you're in a relationship with one of these people we've been talking about. Whether it be in work, school, family, in your friend groups, whatever your sphere of influence is, you've noticed that you're participating in relationships with a social vampire. I pray that God has used these messages, if that's you, to embolden you and to equip you to love them through it, draw boundaries, and be the light of Jesus. But some of you have sat here, and I know because I've had some conversations, I've had to have some of these own conversations with myself. Some of you have sat there over the last few weeks, rather, whether in person or online, and you started to realize, maybe I'm one of these people. And if that's you, I have been praying for you, and I have prayed that God will continue to speak to you, that you've had ears to hear, that you've had a heart to receive, so God can begin to change your thought patterns break habits, ask questions, and really start to begin to heal you from the inside out. 
So whether you're one of these people we've talked about or you're in relationship with one of these people, we have all seen the tolls that it can take, right? Critical people, controlling people, hypocritical people, they're all vampires. We all leave interactions with these people at one point or another feeling depleted. Their behaviors drain us. We want to help them. We want to come alongside of them and be like Jesus, but they leave our tanks feeling empty. So thankfully, through the power and by the example of Christ, we can love these people without losing ourselves. Because it's hard to love somebody and meet them where they're at when you don't even technically know where you're at, right? So by the power an example of Christ living in and through us, we can figure out how to love these people without losing ourselves. So today, you're probably wondering who we're talking about. We are talking about needy people. Needy people. I had a couple of chuckles. That means you all know one. Everyone knows a needy person, right? If you don't know a needy person, you might be a needy person, and that's okay. We're here. <laughs> we're here for you. We're going to figure out how to do this today. You ready? <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Paid her too, but it's okay. So we are conquering needy people. If you aren't one, you know one. But I would venture to say this. I would venture to say that at some point in, of our, in our lives, all of us has been a needy person. But today, I want to focus on the extra needy, okay? Like the really codependent, what we call the EGRs, extra grace required. Anybody? You know some of those? Yeah. EGRs. What does the Bible have to say about those type of needy people? It starts with us knowing the difference between what is needy and what is in need, right? We have to figure out the difference between what is needy and what is in need. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. It continues on in verse 10 and 11, and it says this. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all you do and all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. It's knowing the difference between in need and needy. Now, friends, Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry with people who were in need. The, the needs of people pulls at the heartstrings of God and therefore should prompt a response from those of us who follow him. And that's why you'll see Creekside Church partnering with ministries that target to meet the needs of people. Passion in the Streets, an organization that we've been partnering with, that we've been forming a relationship with, they're aiming to give people a hand up instead of a hand out, and they are being the hands and feet of Jesus in a community that has practical needs. 
That's what the Bible's calling us to do for those who are in need. That's what Jesus, that's the response that Jesus wants from us to those who are in need. But what about needy? Those stage five clingers, the ones who are right there every time, ready to give whatever it is you're willing to let go of. What about those needy people, the people in our lives that won't help themselves, that come back to us time and time again with a new version of the same story that you've heard, and they're hoping that at this point, you've heard the story enough times, you can now deliver them. Those are the people that we're talking about. Those are the ones that leave us feeling depleted, tired, resentful, and like we've got nothing else to give to any of our other relationships. So what's your role in that relationship? Because you do have one, and the Bible's clear about it. What is your role in that relationship? Well, first, talking about needy. Needy people are just wanty people, right? Needy people are wanty people. They want our time and attention. They say they want our advice. Uh-huh. See? Uh-huh. Yeah, see? Some of you have somebody in your head now. They say they want your advice. They ask for our sympathy. They ask for things from us. My favorite, they ask for thoughts and prayers. Right? Come on, Facebook. Hello? they want whatever you are willing to give and then they'll come back some more for some more later on. So how do you respond? How do we respond? Well, the Bible is clear. First, it tells us to give them what they need and not what they want. Give them what they need, not what they want. As I was preparing for this message, um, I was struck like a bolt of lightning, uh, with the comparison between a needy person and a kid. Hello, I'm a kid's pastor. That's the world I operate in today, just a break from my usual routine. So I'm thinking about needy people, and I'm thinking, I work with kids every day. I see the comparison. But if you don't, let me track you. Track with me. Let me bring you down a, a train of thought here. Think of a three- or four-year-old, okay? Parents of toddlers, vibe with me. Three or four years old, your child wants everything from you. They want love, attention, snacks, screen time. You name it, they want it. Mom is the word that comes out of their mouth more than any other word in the dictionary probably. Three and four-year-olds are needy. They want stuff from you. But simultaneously, parents will know this as well, they think they're their own little independent mini-human. They think they can do all kinds of things that the word mine is becoming more popular in the vocabulary. Yes, parents drag with me. Uh, or the phrase, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. Before they need to put their shoes on and like it would take you two minutes, but it's gonna take them like 20, but you're like, okay, you're independent, you're learning things. But you're like, I got a schedule to stick to, hello. <laughs> Church starts in two minutes and you're gonna take 20 to put your shoes on. Like we gotta go. Three or four year olds, they live in this weird tension. They want, they need you, but they want to be independent. Same as with teenagers. I've drawn the same comparison there. Teenagers live in this tension of wanting to be independent and wanting or needing parents' guidance. Give you a couple examples. Trunk or treat is tomorrow, okay? You get home, you got a, your kid's got a sack full of candy. They're stoked on life. They had the best time ever. They're ready to dive in. 
<laughs> Some of you parents know that every third question you're going to get from your child's mouth between tomorrow and next Friday is, Mom, can I have a piece of candy? Dad, can I have a piece of candy? Hey, can I have a piece of candy? Can I have a piece of candy? Can I have a piece of candy? You know it. You know it. I know it. I'm prepared for it. I got candy up the wazoo. Anytime a kid asks me, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> you don't come home with me. Absolutely. You got it, kid. But you know, mom, can I have a piece of candy? No, sweetie. Not right now. They go to dad. Dad, can I have a piece of candy, please? Dad says, go ask your mom. Yeah. <laughs> right? <Never. laughs> One dad said, never. I would never do that. Because his wife's sick right now, that's why. <laughs> but you say no, right? Because you know, as their parents, on an average, they're going to ask like a once an hour for a piece of candy, and you know that a child should not consume that much chocolate in any given day. So you say no. You hold your ground. Instead, you offer some apple slices or some goldfish. You offer water. That's always a mom's suggestion for like anything. Did you drink some water? Like you offer water. Or my favorite thing is just wait till after dinner. Because God, for a child, dinner's like 12 years away in their brain. But wait till after dinner. That's how we respond to our kids when they come to us with what they believe is a need, right? Teenagers, vibe check, you're also needy. I'm here to tell you that you are needy people as well. Teenagers live, I said this before, in this tension of wanting guidance and support from their parents or the adults around them and a yearning for an independence and a freedom as they're entering into adulthood. And sometimes that independence and freedom gets exercised, what we would say, to a fault, right? Social media, we're gonna take on social media in this example, because it's a beast in today's world. Students, I know it. I've, I've lived in your world because I was a youth pastor, and I love you so much, so hear my heart in this, okay? Social media is a beast in today's world, especially for our students. The, prote the, the pressure, I'm sorry, to participate in this online community starts as young as fifth or sixth grade. So your 13-year-old comes to you and asks, Mom, can I download Instagram? Parents, you know that opening that Pandora's box too young could end up negatively shaping your kid's worldview because the information overload that's out there already is too much for you to take in, much less for your adolescent-brained kid to begin to process. So you say, no, sweetie, not right now. We'll revisit it when you're 16, okay? That's, that's the rule that you've laid down in your house. Now, based on your kid's temperament, teenagers, based on how cool you are with your parents, you maybe are in the free and clear, and you just had a wonderful conversation. <laughs> but chances are, and <laughs> mostly based on the response I just received from some of you, there is tension. You're leaving that conversation with a teenager who's probably a little irritated. And I'm here to tell you, as a youth pastor, as a children's pastor, that is okay. Parents, hear that. That is okay. It is okay for your child to walk away from that conversation frustrated or irritated with you. Because why? You gave them what they needed, not what they wanted. You gave them what they needed, not what they wanted. You know 
Students, hear me. Your parents know, as your parent, what will be the best for you and when will be the best time for you to begin engaging in those platforms. Because chances are your parents are already using those platforms and they see the burden that comes with it. They feel the overwhelmedness and they're trying to protect you from that. And I'm here to tell you that us old people, we find a fraction, yes, I said us old people because I am outside of that 18-year-old frame and so I'm now old. That's just the rules in kids' ministry. You're not 18, you're old. So us old people can only find a fraction of what these students are able to access on the internet. So parents, stand firm. Say no. Give your child what they need, not what they want. Parents, you know it's not the last time you'll have some of these conversations. They'll ask you for candy again. They'll ask you to get Instagram again. And just like with needy people who come back to us over and over, we must resist the urge to give them what they want for the sake of giving them what they truly need. Ephesians 4, 15 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. I want you to hear this, and if you're taking notes, you can write it down. The goal is not to make needy people happy. The goal is not to make needy people happy. The goal is to love a needy person like Christ loves them and to confront them with truth. Did you hear what I said? The goal is not to make a needy person happy. It is to love them and it is to be honest with them. Some of my people pleasers in the room, you're feeling a little cringy right now. You're kind of like, oh, no, 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 Pastor Christina, that's not how it goes. Everybody's got to be happy all the time. I know that feeling. I feel that feeling to some extent. But Pastor George said it a couple weeks ago. I'm going to repeat it right now. And if you are taking notes, I want you to write this down because I've repeated it to myself several times since he said it. Pastor George said, you have to stop trying to meet a need that you were never designed to meet in the first place. You need to stop trying to meet a need that you yourself were not put on this planet to meet. You were not designed to meet it. To help a needy person, we have to look past what they want from the situation and we have to address what they truly need and we need to meet that need in love. The problem in doing that is it's seldom going to feel like you're loving that needy person to that needy person. By the world's standards, when you love someone, you give them not just what they need, but you go above and beyond in most instances to give them what they want, right? The world tells us it's not about just meeting my needs. You're also going to go far and above to give me what I want. But that is not what God instructs us to do. Hear me, church, that is not what the Lord is telling you to do for needy people. That's what the world is telling you to do. The old adage of give a man a fish, you guys know that? Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man a fish, he eats for his whole life, okay? That is a biblical principle. Second Thessalonians 
3, 10 to 12 says this. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church. He said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling will not get to eat. Yet, we hear some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and you're meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work to earn their own living. Paul is telling the needy people in the church of Thessalonica, you have a role in this. And that role is a role that no other human being can come and meet for you. You have to do the work. You have to do the work, and there's a limit to how much we'll be able to help you in that. Now, I am blessed with one of the greatest husbands, in my opinion. Um, he just had a birthday on Wednesday. He turned 30. We got to celebrate him and really love him. Yeah, woohoo! <gasps> Old people! <laughs> if I would have said that in kitchen, I'm like, oh my gosh, 30? But yes, yeah, so we celebrated his birthday uh, last Wednesday, and it was so great. Um, and I know that my husband is willing to go far and beyond to fulfill my wants. I know that. For crying out loud, on his birthday, he got me a present. We're sitting there. I know. Oh, yeah, so great. Good job, Jacob. We're sitting there at the table. We're opening all of his presents. We're eating cake, me, him, and my mom. And we get finished. And he's like, all right, wait a second. I got something for you. And he goes up to the garage and he brings a present. He brings one in for me. Now, of all the days... In the year, did Jacob have to get me a present on October 26th? No. No, he absolutely did not. But out of the kindness and love that he has for me, he chose to do it. He knew it was something I wanted, and it brought him joy on his day. So am I going to, on October 27th, go back to Jacob and be like, hey, thanks for the gift, but now, you know, that's not really what I wanted, wanted. There's something else that I really wanted. So if we could just go ahead and make that happen too, that would be swell. No! <laughs> I must have lost my mind. That is not my response. At least not until I go and I check this nice, tidy spreadsheet that he has that tells me what the budget says, and if the magic Google spreadsheet formula says that I can go get a new pair of Nike Dunk Lows, then I'll go do that. But if the magic formula says no, then that means no. And Jacob's the one who made the formula, so if, if the formula on the Google spreadsheet says, sorry, Pastor Christina, no new shoes, am I all of a sudden gonna be mad at Jacob for not meeting my need? No. No, I'm not. Because he made the budget, I'm being denied my need? No. And why am I not upset about it? Because when I look at this very complex, very nerdy spreadsheet, <laughs> I know that every need our household has is covered. From gas to groceries to utilities, it's in there. He's thought about it. The only thing that's being limited are my wants. The things that go above and beyond my needs are the only things that are being limited. We must find a way, friends. We have to. We have to find a way to balance between helping our neighbor and obeying how God wants us to love our neighbor. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 says this, don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Are needy people difficult? 
Do they require extra grace? But as opposed to allowing our hearts to become calloused and resentful, we must choose to love like Christ loves. Paul is saying in his letter to warn these people who are extra work for you. And when he's saying warn, he's saying advise them, care about what they're caring about, and find a way to love them through it. Ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, you guys, and how to walk alongside this person to meet the heart of their need. Now, I'm an only child, fun fact for some of you, I'm an only child, so sometimes the idea of siblings is a little bit lost on me because uh, didn't have to deal with it. But I do have many people in my life who are close to me as though they were my brother or sister, and sometimes it's hard for me to draw a line in the sand for those people. It is. It's difficult. When the phone rings and they tell me they need something, the fixer inside of me wants to jump at the chance to help them. I want to save the day. When I get a call from somebody who is just near and dear to my heart, I want to be that person to meet that need. But other times I'm so fed up with the sixth phone call telling me the same thing that I want to just lay into them and say, wake up, dude, we've been here before. This is the conversation we had a million times. What are you doing? See, I start talking fast because I'm getting irritated. <laughs> wake up. We've been here before. But Paul reminds us that this cannot be our response if we want people to truly understand what we're telling them. We have to meet them with the truth in love. I've heard it put this way. When you choose to speak into a person's life, make sure that you are speaking for one another's peace of mind not to simply give them a piece of your mind. Our response to needy people can't just be for response's sake. It must be seasoned with the truth of God's word and the love and humility of Christ's character. Like I mentioned before, on an inherent level, all of us are needy. Therefore, we must not think of ourselves as too righteous or too holier than thou, or like we've somehow arrived at this place before somebody else and we're just waiting for them to catch up. We have to abandon that idea of thinking because on an inherent level, each of us is in need. So we need to be walking alongside of them, reality check, because we all fall short. Which leads me to our second point, and it's that we need to be consistent. In order to help needy people and save ourselves from having the life sucked out of us, we need to be consistent. Galatians 6, verses 9 through 10 say, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not Give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Friends, we have to put aside any inclination that we may have to say, we've been over this before. I told you so. We have to put aside those inclinations because Paul is telling us that we are in this thing for the long haul. You're probably going to have to have that same conversation again. You're probably going to have to deal with that same issue again. But guess what? You're going to do it anyway. 
Working in youth, man, I would have a teenager come up to me time and time again with their heart broken. I mean, on the floor in shambles, devastated because their third true love of the school year has broken up with them and they don't know how they're going to make it through the end of the year with this heartbreak. My humanity, hello, my humanity wants to respond harshly, wants to judge them, feels exasperated that we're having the same conversation for the third time in one semester. But my, the Jesus inside of me knows that whatever seeds I'm choosing to plant in this conversation, those are the seeds that are going to be watered beyond this moment in time. So I hold a responsibility as the person who God is allowing to speak into that life, the life of that student at that time to be consistent in my response to them. Now, as the worship team comes up, I want us to look at one last thing that Paul says here in his letter to the church of Thessalonica. Paul closes his letter with this statement in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Church, when do we get to be tired of doing good? Never. Never. And I know that in some seasons of our lives, that seems like an insurmountable task. I know it does. I've been in those seasons. I've walked with some of you through those seasons. I know that in some seasons of our life, to be good <laughs> seems like an insurmountable task. You've had this needy person sucking the life out of you for some time now, and you thought you did everything you could to help them and pick them back up again. Yet here they are, standing with you, with the same need and the same story. Just as each of us has the opportunity to go before the Father time and time again, feeling needy and helpless, those around us should feel safe to come to us and be able to walk away from the interactions they have with us feeling like they were met with the love of Christ. Especially those of you who have people within your sphere of influence who don't know who Jesus is. You know, as a Christ-loving person, when you fall short, when you mess up, when you feel like you've got nothing left to give, you're able to go to the Father time and time again and see ever there saying, oh, nope, sorry. In's full. No, that's Old Testament stuff. No, we, you're here. Come on. He's accepting you. So just like he is accepting us into that fold, we should accept the fold of those who are around us into ours, meeting them with the love of Christ that we anticipate we meet when we meet with the Father. Pastor George challenged us at the beginning of these series to know your calling. Know your calling. I know that my calling is to love, support, and challenge my husband, and my other calling is to plant seeds in the hearts and minds of young people with each interaction that I have. That is my calling. Love and support and challenge my husband and plant seeds in the hearts and minds of young people. I know that that is my calling. And I encourage you, just as Pastor George did, find your calling. Because only in finding your calling are you going to really be able to meet the needs of the people in your life.
And I'll leave you with this. As we stand together and get ready to worship, I'll leave you with this truth. Because I just told you, my, my calling is to love and courage and strengthen my husband and to plant seeds. So I'm doing that. You'll see me in interacting with our students and with our young kids. I am trying my best to plant seeds with every interaction that I have with them. Because I want them to walk away. And when that seed gets watered, they'll come back to me. Pastor Christina, did you know? I did know that. And that's awesome. I'm so great. I'm so happy. I love you so much. I can't believe that you remember that. That's so wonderful. So my encouragement to you is this. The seeds that you are planting, the seeds that I am planting, will produce a plentiful harvest, you guys, if you do not give up. I know needy people are hard. I know needy people come back to you time and time and time again, and you're given all that you think that you have to give. But the seeds that you are planting will produce a plentiful harvest if you do not give give up. It says so in God's word. And therefore, we can receive it and we can believe it.